Fabulous. Great to be together this morning. Uh, Malcolm is away. San Antonio. Um, Stefan's ill in bed. Charles in Kid Kingdom. So you've got me instead, fortunately. You've got me. Um, thank you so much for Eva and her communion. Um, kind of six, a bit of a backdrop, really. It's all about knowing where we've come from and being blinded. And the whole point of the Sermon of the Mount, what we're going to be talking about a little bit about today, is that Jesus coming, is coming to us in a state of blindness in the world. He wants us to no longer be blinded and then be salt and light to the world, if that makes sense. So today I've entitled my, uh, my sermon, A Salty Sermon. I hope it's seasoned for you today. Um, but let's get, let's get into, into what we're going to talk about today. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then he goes on to say about the light as well. But Jesus here is talking right after the Beatitudes. Specifically, he's alluding to the fact that living like him, carrying out the lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to, will incite persecution. But Jesus wants us to be salt and light in this world. And he knows that our influence depends on our character. Jesus now turns to the witness aspect explicitly in our lives, what we're like to the world, how we witness about him. And interestingly, at this point, all his followers have done so far, stand by a mountain and listen. And yet Jesus says, you are salt. Hang on, hang on. We've not even started yet. Why is he already saying that we are salt? It says at the beginning of the chapter that he sat down on the mountainside and began to teach them. And I was thinking about this going through it in my head. I mean, obviously you've got a few followers, you know, following Jesus. You follow him up to the mountainside where you know, he sits there so we can see everyone. And um, he says, all right, guys, Listen to me for a bit now. You are salt. I can just imagine, picture the scene, some bloke saying, hang on, hang on, you don't know me from Adam. And Jesus is saying, actually, well, I know him as well, Adam. And you are my friend. You are salt, my friend. It's like he's calling us to what we can be. He's like he's saying to us, you are worth it. You are ready. You have got this. It's like in football. You are my captain. You are the one for this game. So I can't mention, I can't help but mention football. And um, one of my great idols of football is Alex Ferguson. One of the great things what players said about him was that he always made players feel like they were the one to play in this particular game. 
Shall we drop a player for two or three games? And then you come along, aside this person, not play players in this game, but next game, the cup game, that's the one for you. So even before we started, even before we started our mission, he thinks we are worth it. He thinks we've got it. How does it make you feel to be believed in? I can imagine that guy thinking to myself in my own little, my, my, I can imagine the people saying, no, yeah, we're in this together. Me and this crowd, we've got Jesus. We can make a bit of a difference. What's a bit of persecution? We can change the world. I can just imagine that mulling through people's minds when he's talking about Beatitudes. When Jesus said this, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he provided us with an expression which can, we can give to um, the greatest compliment to any man or woman is to say, you know, you are the salt of the earth. When we want to stress someone's worthiness, we, we think of him or her, we say you are the salt of the earth. I remember growing up, hearing people, well, my dad around me saying, you buy it, lad. That lad's the salt of the earth. Somehow it sounds better in a northern accent. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about salt. Well, actually, I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. <laughs> and if I ask you a question, then you can talk. <laughs> Malcolm asked me to do salt and light from the verses 13 to 16, but to be frank, even though I'm done, there's too much salt. There's too much salt in this salt, so I'm going to talk about today's salt. And it's not my fault, so please do not give me any salt. So today, today we're not going to turn big light on. We're not going to talk about the light. No, we'll talk about big light next time. I mean, come on, this is just the introduction and, um, you know, we uh, haven't got a lot of time. <laughs> so, before we get down to the nitty-gritty, let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, that we can be here today. Thank you, God, that we can continue our series on the Beatitudes and we can think about um, salt today, God and how, what that means to us in our lives, what Jesus is talking about when he calls us salt, when he wants us to be salt, Father. Uh, we just pray, God, that as we discuss, God, you bring the message clearer to us, God, and we can leave here today really understanding what you want of us, God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So the Romans had uh, a saying back in the ancient world, and that saying was, there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. In Latin, it went something like this. Nil utilius sole et sale. That's what it meant. And the reason why that is, is because salt was obviously God made or Mother Nature made, whatever the Romans believed back then. And it was pure and it was useful. And it was linked with three special qualities back then. It was linked with purity, 
and it was linked with flavor, I mean seasoning stuff, and it was also linked with preserving things, keeping things safe and helping them last longer. So purity. In the ancient world, salt was pure. Obviously, it's white, so that, that connection is pretty obvious. But also, the Romans said that salt was the purest of all things because it comes from the purest of all things, the sun and the sea. Because it's pure, over centuries, salt has been used to cleanse. Elisha the prophet in Kings 2 recognized the fact and the power of salt when he used it to cleanse the waters just, to have just after Elijah had been taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And he said, bring me a bowl and put some salt in it. So they brought, him, brought it to them and then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it saying, this is what the Lord says. I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day according to the word Elisha had spoken. And we'll talk about a bit more how it, how it makes us pure later. But, you know, everybody likes a nice bath, don't they? Or a bath if you come from down south. <laughs> Everyone likes a salt bomb for cleansing your bodies, cleaning our homes. Salt water is even in our bodies. We need it to survive. Sea salt is great for cleaning cuts. Do you got a bit of a graze on your knee? And you've got, and your mum goes, go on, just go and bathe it in the, go and bathe it in the sea. Go in the sea, you'll clean it out. And you go, ah, ah, you're like, mum, mum, mum. But it's good for it, isn't it? It's good for cleaning out wounds. However, salt can be adulterated. What does that mean? It can be spoilt. It can be diluted. Adulteration usually refers to the mixing of matter of an inferior, of an inferior substance which is sometimes harmful to the quality of food. And sometimes it's a real thing, but because it's been adulterated, it's not really the real thing. That happened with food quite a lot over the centuries. Not so much now, because we have food standards, but people used to adulterate all sorts, food and salt. As a result of adulteration, food or drink becomes impure and can be, become unfit for human consumption. And people used to do that. They used to sell things um, knowing it was not fit to eat, but obviously they're a bit dodgy, so they'd sell it. If, if salt was thrown to be, salt was found to be impure, it would be thrown into the street. The rubbish dump of the ancient east, where it would be, trampled underfoot. It was no good for anything else anymore. It was good for walking on, and that was it. Salt which is not pure ceases to be salt. So I've got three questions for you. Three salty questions. We've divided into three little groups. And it's all about when Jesus... Well, I'll, I'll, give you I'll give you the three questions, is that okay? I'll give you three different groups. So the first group has got to answer this question. So we say these people here. Okay, so your question is, when Jesus says, 
When Jesus says salt loses its saltiness, it cannot become salty again. What do you think he means? Okay? This middle section here is what does it mean to be salty? Yeah? And then the third people, on the third group of people, your question is a bit of a, it's a bit of a strange one, but I think you may get it. And it is, why does Jesus not say you are honey of the world? <laughs> because that's sweet. You get it? So we've got five, four, five, say maximum five minutes to discuss the question. Okay, guys, you ready? Okay, so should we start with who had... Um, if salt loses its saltiness, it can't become salty again. Was that this group here? Yeah. Okay, go for it. So, I mean, you gave us a tough question. Yep. That's, that's sure. Lots of questions, <laughs> lots of questions. I, I think it's, I mean, we all, I mean, I think we, we said there's kind of, you can have different opinions about what this actually means. Yeah. Because Bill opened up by saying, well, salt is always salty, and it cannot be salty. You know, and, it, it, and so it's kind of like, if you lose your salty deafness, it kind of implies that there was never any salt in there in the first place. You know, yeah. so it, it's not a question of getting back, you know, it's, it's, you have to restart all over again. It's not a question of getting back, which wasn't there. And then we sort of talked about the adulteration idea, like, you know, if, if, things, if salt was in like, adulterated, the only way that um, the salt would be removed was by washing that out. And so, you know, and, it's, uh, and that was, and then once you got to that point, you can't, when you got left to the back, there's a pile of rocks and grit. Yeah, yeah. And everything used to adulterate it, and that can't get the salt again. So I think in terms of application to the Christian life, it's kind of like, it's quite a, scary verse in terms of affecting our effectiveness and how we're going to be effective and if we do lose that effectiveness and that call or is it can we become effective again? Mm. I think there is and that's where we kind of had a few different sort of opinions yeah. on that or you know, how, how do we interpret this verse and apply it. Yeah, mm. so then we didn't really have any clear answers to each other. Yeah. Because it's funny because you say you say we are the salt of the earth, which is like, okay, well that's us so we're calling us salty. And then he's saying, but if you lose your saltiness, so is, what is he talking about? Is he talking about our lives, oh, our character, our behavior? Yeah. Or is he talking about the message? Is he talking about purely the message and how we carry that message? Are we lowering the standard? Are we diluting it? That's it. Or are we, are we saying what the message is? Are we making it palatable, making it sweeter? Or are we just saying it as it is? Does that make sense? We'll go talk a bit more about that in a bit. Number, question number two. What does it mean to be salty? A bit more of a general question. <laughs> so we had an interesting discussion in our group. It started off by you know, being balanced. Yeah. Um, you know, like not too much salt, not too, too little salt. You know, you have to have the right balance of salt when you do a meal and the same kind of thing. Are we bringing flavor to people's life by the right amount of salt? 
that we bring and also are we preserving the word of God when we bring flavor to someone's mm. life? Yeah. You know, um, Becky said something like, we, not, we make people's lives more extraordinary because, you know, we, we add in life to it, we add in flavor to it. Mm. It's, it's bringing it, and if we preserve it ourselves, if we live it out ourselves, then we can have that ability to bring that. What else is it Thank you. Great. Still some more points there, but we'll, well, it's all right. I forgive you. <laughs> Why did Jesus not say you are honey to the world? Yep. Um, honey can also uh, be used to make mead, which can then lead to drunkenness and to sin. Um, and it doesn't preserve, it goes off naturally. Yep. And therefore, it can't preserve anything. Yeah. So, su- sweetness is good, isn't it? Sweetness is quite fleeting for me. So, things that taste good. When you, whoop, you know, like a bit of chocolate, well, and a bit of like just a bit of sweetness. It's like, but it's, it's there and it's gone. You know what I mean? Eating salt by itself, well, it's a bit, it's a bit disgusting. But salt does have some good qualities. It has, has an antiseptic, antiseptic nature, in the sense that it might sting a wound, but it'll make it better, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And also salt, salt can be quite irritating. And maybe Jesus is thinking that. It's not just about providing a sweet message, what's easy to receive and palatable and, oh, that's nice. But actually, it's about being a bit of an irritant to the world. That this message, Jesus, what you're saying here, it's actually, whoa, oh, it's, it's bothering me a little bit. It's irritating me. I'm not quite sure if, if this is going to go down well. But actually, that's the whole point of Jesus' message. Not every single part of the message, it always goes down well because we find it challenging and that's what, we, that's what it should be like, if that makes sense. Perhaps salt of the emphasis of what Jesus is saying is that they are the prevention of the spread of decay and evil around the world, that we are the antiseptic influence on the lives around us in the world. How about us? Are we being the antiseptic influence around our workplaces, around our friends, around our schools, around wherever we, what the people see us as different? Does that make sense? So now, thank you for answering the questions. And some of what you said in, in your groups actually goes on to what I'm going to talk about a little bit now. And we're going to talk about now flavor. So obviously someone's already mentioned that flavor balances things, it brings out the best in some foods, it it's seasons things. And in Colossians 4, it says, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So God wants us to have his message in our hearts when we're talking to each other 
so it can encourage each other with the message, so it can be more and more become part of our hearts. Does that make sense? You can get more comfortable with things, can't you? At first, a message is it's difficult to take on, but actually you can become more and more comfortable. The more we talk about it, the more we season our conversations with salt, the easier and more natural it becomes. Jesus wants us to be always thinking about the Beatitudes, our lifestyles. Who remembers these? Yeah. I think, I think they still make them. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's no longer Smiths, it's Walkers. And when you think about it, right, right, you get this bag of crisps. It's a British thing, I think. I don't think they have them in any other country, so forgive us. Right, you get these crisps, right, and it's a bag of plain crisps, and you open the bag of plain crisps, and inside that bag, you get a little blue packet. And that blue packet contains a bit of salt. And when you think about it, it's quite gimmicky, isn't it? I mean, who on earth does not want to have chip, sorry, to have the salt on their chips or crisps. I mean, you've got to be partly insane, haven't you, really, not to like, I want a bag of crisps. I want a bag of crisps. I want a bag of chips and the chippy, but don't put salt on. I mean, eating chips without salt or vinegar or just salt, it's just like, what is the point? Eating crisps without salt, what is the point of that? And part, I think part of the thing is, is that you... you um, you, um, your mum buys them because it's just a bit of fun. Your dad buys them because it's a bit of fun because, you know, you like to find the salt and get it out and sprinkle it all in. The, the, the trouble is, you can never quite evenly spread the salt across all the chips, all the, all the crisps in the bag because it's just all clumps onto one crisp and you've got two salty crisps and the rest are plain. It's, it, it's quite disappointing. You know, in fact, actually, once I remember, this is no way of a lie, once I remember, I actually got two chassis of salt in one, in one bag. I was really, really lucky. <laughs> two sachets of, uh, oh, my, my brother was gutted. <laughs> I got two, two blue things. <laughs> the Christianity lends flavor to life. The tragedy is, that often people have connected Christianity with the opposite, in the sense that Christianity takes the flavor out of life. We walk around depressed, serene, the diffuser of joy, we walk into a party, oh, there's the Christian, nothing's going to be boring now. Unless you're at one of our Tigers parties. You know, we're not called to be boring and nice, to be always agreeable always polite, always British, <laughs> but to show people how to live life to the full, but to avoid the dangers of the things that steal our joy. That's the difference. Knowing that things can steal our joy and that we have to have the discernment to know what fun looks like. Sometimes too much of a good thing can lead to self-destruction. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be famous. I want to have loads of money. I want to have sex with everyone. You know, 
too much of a good thing. Today, people want the full banquet all at once. Man versus food, all of pleasures, all of life's pleasures now, right now, no boundaries, no restrictions, full adulterated life. But we must savour the taste, show restraint, show restraint, wait for the best bits. You know, before I was a Christian, this is pretty much my life. Um, as a teenager, my parents got divorced. And I went to university, and my life was just effectively sleeping around, drugs, going out drinking, not a lot of studying. And that was my life. That was, that was my life. I was blinded. I thought having this freedom of being escaped from house and being able to do my own thing, away from all the troubles I'd, I'd, I'd gone through as a, in my teenage years, that this was the, my chance now to live by myself. But the problem is, I self-destructed. We have to ask ourselves, what really are blessings? You know, blessings are blessings no matter where they come from and when they come. We are grateful. Like the couple later on in life, having a child in their 40s or 50s who wanted a child of their lives, they're grateful. Like a person who's never seen all their lives and then receives sight later on in life, they're grateful. Sometimes we can want all things to come all at once, and it's not great. We can, life becomes about grabbings, not blessings, if that makes sense. You know, our hearts can be easily deceived. On the left here, it's not a great picture. And on the right here are two different types of food. On the right here, you have fast food. I'm all a bit guilty of having a bit of a fast food, let's be honest, right? Fast food, on the go, it's quick, it's convenient, you know? But it's not quite as nice as a perfect Sunday roast cooked lovingly and slowly by my wife. <laughs> with the people we love around us. Um, it warms the soul much more than fast food, especially with gravy. <laughs> Don't do gravy now, self. Don't. <laughs> you know, it's more nutritious for us Sometimes not to grab everything, to want everything, full adulterated life. God wants us to be flavoured to the world. But we have to show restraint, wait for God's blessings, wait for his timing, when his timing is right to bless us in our lives. When I think about it, you know, I can't honestly say there's something missing from my life as a Christian. Now, I've tried life the non-Christian way, and I've tried life the Christian way. And looking back now, 
There's nothing really I got out of life living like that. What I haven't got now. In fact, some of the most funniest times I've had as a Christian, and yet people are seen as killjoys as Christians. You know, the marriage I have, the children I have, the adventures I've been on. Actually, some of the friendships I have right now, the times I've experienced amazing friendships, has been in the Christian life. Jesus says that salt is to be thrown out if it has become lost its saltiness. It has become useless. How about, how about us? Are we wanting it all, forgetting about the purity and the antiseptic power that a salty life can bring? Or are we thinking about the dangers of a life without saltiness? Are you still tasty? bringing flavour to the world. Salt in food gives balance. Is there balance to your life? Or is it missing something? Are you out of control right now? Or is God in control? Lastly, preservatives. Now we learn in life that we must preserve. Self-preservation is actually the first law in nature. We are born with an instinct to survive and, uh, and keep ourselves safe. We have a strong natural instinct to survive from our first breath. We see all of God's creation doing the same, from the fish in the sea to the birds in the air, all busy feeding, sheltering, sleeping, mating, Feeding, sheltering, it goes on and on. And we like to preserve our time. And we like to preserve the rights of ourselves. And we like to preserve the rights of others. And we strive to preserve the peace. But we don't really know how to preserve ourselves. That's the problem without God. In Psalm 19, David writes his psalm. And David is a person what truly understood what it was like to live intimately with God. He wasn't perfect, but you really get from the psalms, you really got it. Does that make sense? So it's a, it's a great admiration for us. It's a great uh, thing for us to look at. And he says in this psalm, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Nothing in the world can be trusted to preserve our souls other than God. This world is full of self-help help books. You know, it's full of advice, especially now. And it doesn't always get to the real heart. It doesn't really get involved with our sorting our sin out, sorting our lives out, bringing balance to our lives. Because we were made to have a relationship with God. Whether we like it or not, that's just the way it is. We were made to have a relationship with each other, as social beings, but we were made to have a relationship with God. So without that, there's not going to be a balance in our lives. 
In the Old Testament, it talks quite often about our hearts becoming callous. This is a bit of a strange word. But when something forms a callousness, it's a bit like on a cold winter morning. We can see the ice forming on our cars and we can see the ice forming on the steps of our homes. And we see it as potentially slippery and dangerous. That layer of ice can be melted by salt. A little bit of sprinkling of salt on the ice will melt it away. If you have any doubts about how ice can be dangerous, speak to my wife Becky. She'll tell you all about how slippery ice can be very, very dangerous. Um, especially when you're ice skating, aren't you, babe? <laughs> you know our hearts can be the same they can be a bit cold a layer of crusty ice can form over our hearts if it's not sprinkled with salt the application of spiritual salt can bring kindness peace and melt away um, all the badness and leave us with the goodness. In verse 11 at the end of that psalm, in Psalm 16, it says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, if we are to aim for saltiness, how much, lives, how much better our lives will be. We'll be at peace with our brothers and sisters and the world will see us to have something different. We'll come to a close now. Um, Timothy writes, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If we are with God, we can never be apart from God. If we live a salty life, we'll always be with God, does that make sense? The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Jesus is saying here that apart from his disciples, the world turns even more rotten. The world is putrefying. It cannot stop itself from going bad. That Jesus is the answer to our sin, to our impurity. Without Jesus, we cannot remain salty. I really hope that this has struck a chord with you. I really hope that um, you can think about your saltiness. <laughs> 
I really, really hope that, um, you know, that we can think about just what it means to have balance in our lives. If you're feeling out of control, talk to somebody about it. Um, and that's it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, that you bring balance to our lives. God, that you, um, you want us to be salty, God, and that you want us to carry out our mission, Father. Father, your, your message is not an easy one to take sometimes, God, but we appreciate the work it does in our lives, God. We thank you, God, for the antiseptic it brings to us. We pray, God, for courage in persecution. We pray, God, that you'll help us, Father, to um, carry your message, not water it down, God, but to live it out, God. And that as we continue to courageously live out your message, Father, people will be drawn to us. People will be drawn, God, to the fact that we seem to have things worked out, that we are fun, God, but we have something different. Uh, we, we thank you, God, for this time. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. One final song.